listen, man. If you don't shoot, you won't kill it. Look here, Tom. It's like this. Bill, we fucked up. Fucked up bad. Tell me something encouraging. Say you're not supposed to leave elk to find elk. And could that not be any more true in this situation? This podcast is brought to you by Right to Bear. Located in Alpine, California, hit up Trent and Andrew for all your equipment, ammo, and firearm needs. Guys at Right to Bear are the best that San Diego has to offer and can line you up for success at the range or smashing that buck of a lifetime. Welcome back, guys. Listen, first things first, I have to apologize. I'm apologizing because I wish I was recording more podcasts. I, I honest to God, wish I was able to record more than I actually am right now. I just can't. I got too much stuff going on. Um, the ones I can get out, I will, and I'm going to work to get back on track to start producing more podcasts and get them out there to you. I'd like to be putting out two, three a month, just like the old days. It's just hectic is all get up right now in my life. I got a ton of stuff going on. That being said, through this downtime, uh, I've been speaking with John Stallone with Howl for Wildlife, and he he reached out to us and basically was wanting to know if we would help promote Howl for Wildlife. You guys all know that here at Ridge Ridge Outdoors Podcast, we're a big uh, proponent in <clears throat> like wildlife conservation, public lands, public access, and basically against any bill that would come up that would put any outdoors men and women, fishermen, hikers, bikers, any of us, right? Any of us that George enjoy the great outdoors uh, at risk of losing our, our uh, opportunity and, and rights to public land, right? So that being said, we were speaking and he was wondering if we would partner with them to share their monthly action center review. And without a hat or without a, without a doubt, I, I volunteered our services. So that's what we're going to do for now on. Um, I think it's going to be a monthly thing and I find great insight in it. It's actually quite it's a good opportunity for all of us with, with local platforms to do this. I think spreading the word is uh, the best course of action. And, um, you know, getting, getting as much information out as possible is the way that we're going to defeat these um, bill introductions and, and all this anti-propaganda against us. That being said, uh, this month's Action Center Review is basically um, – there's a couple bills in the East Coast that get addressed. Uh, the North Carolina Bear Expansion Act, uh, the New Jersey Archery Buffer Zone. That one's like really trippy, guys. Check that out. It actually buffers out from 150 feet to 450 or 400 feet from a dwelling. And then basically you have to notify your neighbors of your intent. You have to get your approval. Just check it out. It's pretty crazy. And then the one that's probably going to affect most of us on the West Coast um, is the Utah Housing Act that they got going up. Uh, it, it, it's basically trying to free up federal lands for, for ha- housing developments. And obviously that's not what we want to do, right? We want to gain access. We don't want to lose access. So in this episode, <clears throat> John Stallone goes over with Travis Hall. He's the, uh, I want to say he's the bill researcher that they have and content writer. I want to say that's what his title is. But, um, if you haven't joined How for Wildlife, you haven't joined the pack, go over there. I believe it's 
howforwildlife.org. Go over there, sign up, join. It's super easy. They send you the initiatives in an email. Just check your email once a week. You can sign up for this stuff. It's one click. Get your name in the hat. Anyways, guys, hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks a lot. Welcome to Howl for Wildlife's Conservation Corner. Your favorite host has stepped up to support your hunting and fishing heritage by agreeing to share our message on their platform. Each month, we will be releasing a show discussing the current issues surrounding hunting and fishing. So be sure to thank them for all they do, and thank you for tuning in. Now let's jump into this episode. Hi, welcome to Howl for Wildlife's Action Center Review. I have uh, Travis Hall with us on, and uh, Travis is one of our bill researchers and content writers, and uh, so he has hands-on experience with the... uh, the current bills we are working on in our action center. So what's going on, man? Hey, John, how's it going? Appreciate you having me on here today. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, moving forward now we're doing this, uh, this action center review, uh, once I think we're going to be doing it like once a month. And, um, so we're going to probably have you on more often since you're directly involved with them. So, Awesome. Yeah, I'd love to be on whenever whenever the need arises. Awesome. So, um, I guess let's just, well, let's get a little quick rundown about you um, so people know who we're talking with, and uh, and then we'll, we'll jump into some of these these actions that we're working on. Awesome, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a freelance writer, and I write primarily about hunting, fishing, conservation-related content, um, obviously I write for you guys, uh, in the action center quite a bit here lately and, uh, do a lot of writing for meat eater as well. And I've had a few articles in field and stream, uh, here lately. So I do that. And then I also report for some, uh, local publications that I'm based out of Montana, Western Montana. So, you know, I'm, I'm writing about hunting and conservation for a, a few local outlets as well here. Awesome. So uh, we got a bunch of stuff going on still, which is crazy. I didn't think this late in the season we would have this many uh, many things going on. But uh, Mm -hmm. you know, typically bill seasons like what January through April for Mm -hmm. for the most part, and here we are mid June. So um, let's talk about this. uh, Let's the North Carolina bear one we'll start off with that and if you could give us an okay. overview of that bill and then we'll kind of dive into it a little bit yeah so that bill um it was basically a response to an action by the north carolina wildlife resources commission which is just the state agency that that administers the wildlife there in north carolina um but you know it's been several months now but they they have expanded or they're attempting to expand their uh, bear hunting opportunity in the western part of the state uh, western north carolina's mountainous uh, terrain quite a bit of public land at least for you know eastern standards they've got about a million acres between the pisgah and the nantahala mm-hmm. national forest there but the yeah the commission decided that because bear populations have been expanding growing in north carolina they wanted to open up some opportunities in a few areas that had formerly been designated as sanctuaries 
uh, that was the terminology used in the 1970s when they kind of set this up. But mm-hmm. uh, these were areas that were off limits to bear hunting for a long time. But now, since numbers have rebounded so well, the uh, the Wildlife Commission decided to open up some limited uh, opportunity hunting there, some like limited entry draw stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, when that when they did that. They were challenged by a lot of animal rights groups uh, in that area. Uh, they, they just met a lot of opposition. Uh, local media kind of latched on to the controversy of it all, as they tend to do. And it got a little blown out of proportion, I would say. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it passed either way within the commission. And the rule should have gone into effect um, but then it got challenged in the legislature by the, the same animal rights group. They uh, they sent in quite a few letters, hundreds of letters that um, caused the the rule to go into a review process with the legislature. So then a, after that, a bill was introduced um, to kind of strike this rule down. But that's not that's not a given yet. So they just have to you know, kind of keep an eye on that one. Right. And so I noticed that I, I had read some articles about it that were t- basically, it was a lot of people were misunderstanding what was mm-hmm. going on. And that's why they were so up in arms about it. Like, uh, I think the word sanctuary was with, was throwing people off is that we were going to go, you know, hunt in these like fenced off, uh, you know, right. places and stuff like that. I was, there was quite a bit of that I saw going around. Um, mm-hmm. wh- do you know, do you have the numbers of what the bear population was and what it's become in these areas? You know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but when I was reporting on this at the time, I talked to a, a bear biologist there and she told me that, you know, in the 1970s, it was, they were dwindling. I mean, the bear was, the black bear in North Carolina was all but um, gone from the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when they designated those sanctuaries. And like you said, that terminology is a little problematic now um, because it kind of, it makes people think of like a national park or some, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere that hunting would should never be allowed but when they designated them in the 70s it was with the understanding that once these populations rebounded uh, there would be some hunting opportunity allowed and that's just kind of that's where they're at now and i don't have the exact numbers but i've been told by bear biologists in the state that they're just they're thriving Mm -hmm. bear numbers particularly in the western part of the state um so this was just designed to kind of address that and and manage that population because human bear conflict is on the seems to be on the rise there, um, particularly near the Smoky Mountains. Yeah, I I remember now. I'm not gonna don't quote me on the numbers, but from what I understood from what I was reading, it went from like five thousand animals in like the '90s to like. 30,000 today Mm -hmm. like it's yeah crazy crazy exploded yeah that sounds about right i mean 
I wouldn't be surprised if that if that's pretty accurate. Yeah, I mean, like I said, don't quote us on this. Uh, look it up, but I know it's pretty, pretty darn close to to those numbers. Something very, uh, you know, large, large gap between you know when the la- like when the last time they did a a survey or whatever in the nineties to the last survey. Um, mm-hmm. You know, twenty twenty, I think it was maybe. Yeah, but yeah, and I mean, what they're what they're proposing to do here um, is it's pretty limited, really. I mean, they're not they're just I think it's like three or four um, of these. They're now calling them designated bear management areas. The the commission officially changed that terminology away from sanctuaries, um, but I think they're only opening three or four of them for some some pretty limited lottery hunts. Right. Um, so, you know, they already have a, a pretty long, a very long standing culture of, of bear hunting with hounds there in uh, in North Carolina. So they do a good job of managing their their populations. I think they're just trying to stay on top of it as it continues to grow. Right. Right. So basically, you know, if they are, it doesn't sound like they are, sounds like we're, we're probably going to win this one here. But mm-hmm. if we don't you know, there's definitely going to be more bear human interaction because a lot of the, of that sanctuary area or the, those designated bear areas are almost landlocked in a way from, with private Mm -hmm. lands. Um, right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the thing. I mean, there's, there, is some public land opportunity in North Carolina. Um, but you know, historically bear hunters have seen their access to, um, places that they used to hunt on private land. They've seen that access dwindle just in the face of development and a growing human population there. Which, yeah, it's pretty much the case everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You can't escape that. God. Yeah. It's crazy. (laughs) Um, so, let's uh let's let's talk about the next one here so utah's got something going on um i think that's the houses act correct mm-hmm. yeah yep yeah that's that's senator mike lee's houses act which i guess was introduced to the senate in april um of this year okay and uh, what, if you could tell us what that's about and yeah basically that um is a bill that he has put forth in the U.S. Senate that proposes to take some federally managed BLM land and um, free it up for purchase by uh, state and local municipalities in there in Utah, where he's a senator in Utah. So it kind of focuses on Utah, but it wouldn't be exclusive to Utah, Um, but it would basically make those lands affordable to the municipalities, which would then um, be required to sell that land to developers for specifically for housing development. So that's, that's federally managed BLM land in across the West that would become potentially become uh, housing developments if this bill were to go through. Yeah. Um, so 
you know, I know it sounds like it might be pretty obvious, but like, let's talk about how that affects us and, and, uh, maybe get into like the long-term implications of that for wildlife. Yeah. I mean, if the bill were to go through, um, it's, it represents pretty significant risk to um, wildlife habitat, obviously, uh, not just in Utah, but all over the Western U.S. Um, these animals rely on on public land for all kinds of all kinds of things, from just their natural everyday forage to winter range. Um, so, so once you start taking land out of um, out of public hands and putting housing developments on it, which this is what this bill proposes. Then you obviously have that habitat loss that comes along uh, with that kind of thing. And then there's a, a big loss of access for hunters and other outdoor recreation recreators that have traditionally used this type of land. So it's kind of twofold between the habitat loss for our, our wildlife and our loss of traditional access to these lands. Yes. Um, so, I mean, this is not just a Utah thing, right? So it, it, we could potentially as hunters and sportsmen have, are, are potentially lose thousands and thousands of acres that are open mm-hmm. for us to hunt. Right. And yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. With that, obviously comes the ramifications for the wildlife using those, that landscape, because we already know, you know, especially like mule deer, mule deer are very affected by defragmentation of their, of their landscape. Right. Um, they're, they're not as adaptable as the whitetail or whatever that'll, you know, sleep underneath your back deck. Cause you, you know, <laughs> that's how they are. And right. mule deer just don't do that. I mean, some of them do, some of them kind of grown up that way. And you'll see that in like Estes park area and stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, this, this is bad. This is a very, very, very bad bill. Like if it goes through, I think this is definitely one that the troops need to rally behind. And I don't really, haven't really seen a lot of movement from, from us on it, to be honest with you. Um, Mm -hmm. I know from Howful Wildlife specifically, I'll pull that up right now. Yeah, yeah, I was wondering how many signatures it has. Not a whole lot. Twenty, yeah. almost twenty three hundred, which mm-hmm. is when when it's something this, you know, egregious or you know, impactful. I guess is a better way to put it. Um, right. To to hunters and wildlife directly, like the, we, I think we need to we need to really get get on this one here, guys. So. You know, don't sit on your hawks. Um, yeah, yeah, it's an important, it's an important thing to try to fight this. I mean, Mike Lee is—he has a long-standing history uh, throughout his tenure in the Senate of trying to transfer federally managed land um, out of federal hands, kind of into the state, or in this case, local municipalities, where it, it can then be sold off to private interests and. Once it's gone, it's gone forever, yeah. and it's yeah. yeah, it's it's access that's lost, and it's it's wildlife habitat, and both of those things are 
you know, already dwindling. So, do you know if BHA is working on that at all? Yeah, well, it I don't, sounds like I, that's like right in their wheelhouse of what their mission yeah. is. But I don't yeah, know. they've been definitely on top of this one since the bill was introduced, and even you know, I heard some rumblings about it before it it was even introduced in the Senate. Um, but they have they have a portal that sends sends people to um, to Mike Lee, and they're sending a ton of letters. Uh, I talked to Lantani whenever I reported on this for Meat Eater back when it first um, made news, and he kind of indicated to me that it, he didn't think this bill would have much support in the Senate, um, and he'd be surprised if it even got out of the committee. Mm-hmm. Um, just, I think bills like this that, that kind of tend to, or attempt to steal land from the American people, they just don't go over very well with people outside of maybe outside of Mike Lee's direct constituency. Right. Uh, once they get a national, in a national spotlight, the uprising can be pretty fierce. And it has been in the past for similar efforts that. Mike Lee and other like-minded politicians have put forth. So, yeah, I I don't know. Like for me, I think that that mentality that it's. I know guys have been around this stuff for long, and you know, have seen it. But I think that mentality is dangerous to oh, yeah. that sit back on your hawks and just, oh, I don't, you know, I don't think, or I don't, whatever, this is, you know, too outlandish, especially nowadays. Like, I mean, look what's going on in this world. Like this is, I think we got to be super heated and, and, mm-hmm. and fired up about every little, every little thing that comes up and just fight tooth and nail. Like, I agree. It's one of the things that drives me insane. Like, to see when I open up the action center and I see something like this and there's only 2,400 or 2,300 signatures or whatever. And I'm like, mm-hmm. we have 40,000 plus members on alpha wildlife mm-hmm. or, or members and users, you know, I'm like, mm-hmm. why don't we have 40,000 signatures? Right. You know, we have 16 mm-hmm. million hunters why don't we have 16 million signatures you know like right the, the, we we shouldn't be losing anything we should mm-hmm. be working like I, I mean it is our goal to to start working to get stuff that we've lost in the past back you right. know mm-hmm. You know, these lion like lion hunting in California or something like that we want to we want to be able to work on that stuff it shouldn't right. be that hard to just get on here and drop a signature. This is this is big stuff. Um, again, oh, I know yeah. it seems like it might be to you know easily. Uh, you know what's the word I'm looking for? Like brushed off or whatever. But it's like mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like there's too much of this stuff going on right now. There's there's a lot of land, la- a lot of land issues going on. Matter of fact, we're going to get into this next one here. I want to talk about Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, what what's going on over there? Oh, uh, New Jersey. So there is a bill, and I believe it's in the New Jersey House. Um, but it 
it would it basically takes a an existing buffer zone um, for people that are hunting with archery equipment, say. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, you you have to be 150 feet from a residential dwelling, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, with your archery equipment, you cannot hunt inside that zone. But it's it's going to take that and extend it out to about 450 feet. Um, and you know, that's just one portion of it. The other, uh, maybe even more egregious part of that bill is that it, it requires private landowners in the state of New Jersey to inform all adjacent property owners of their plans to hunt Mm -hmm. that, that property that they own. Um, so you would have to send a letter to, or somehow inform your neighbors that you plan to deer hunt on your property. And then before you could go through with your hunting plans, you have to receive a, some sort of receipt from, uh, those neighbors, which is absolutely Uh, ridiculous. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, um, I I know this is not necessarily, I mean, it it does affect public lands too. And I'll get into that in a minute, but mm -hmm. to me, think about this. Let's say, I'm, I'm a guy that owns, I don't know, three acres, which mm-hmm. doesn't sound like a lot, especially us Western guys, three acres is nothing, but as you're talking to a guy that hunts a five acre lot, has hunted one acre lots for whitetail back East many, many times. Yeah. So if I own, let's say a two acre parcel, my house is on it and my neighbor, you know, my neighbor to the right of me doesn't want me to hunt. Mm-hmm. Then I can't hunt on my land, you know. Right. Let's yeah. or let's say that let's say that all of them agree that I could hunt, and we just went to four hundred and fifty feet versus a hundred. Or was it yards or feet? I think it's feet, isn't it? Oh, I think it's yards. Actually, I might have misspoken and said feet. Okay. I think it's yards. So now when you're talking about two acres, depending on the relation, you know, the, the, where my house is located on my land, let's say, or excuse me, my, my neighbor's house is located on his land. Let's say he's kind of right up against the boundary. Now mm-hmm. I'm going to lose 150 yards of my own property that I cannot hunt because because of this law, you know? Right. And it's, you know, the same thing goes for public lands. Like back east where I, or in Long Island where I hunt, there's these little tracks, you know, of couple acres, several acres of of land in between housing that Mm -hmm. have a crap ton of deer, lots of deer. Suffolk County, I'm going to bring up because I'm going to speak specifically to this because I know it well. Suffolk County. So you're you're from originally from yeah. uh, the Northeast. Correct. I, I've been living in Arizona since 1991, so I've been here for 30 almost 31 years. In August, it'll be okay. 31 years. Yeah. Um. So I'm I'm pretty much a zoney. I've been in Arizona for way longer than I was in New York, but I go back, and my wife is from New York too. We go back okay. every year, and I go hunting there almost every single year. So. Yeah. Um, and they got a lot of whitetails in uh, New Jersey and New York. Right? Tons, tons, tons. 
those states, those areas have like one of the highest, if not the highest in the country for deer vehicle collisions, nuisance Mm -hmm. problems with deer eating, you know, landscaping and tick problem like you wouldn't believe. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so there's all this stuff there that so these deer definitely need to be managed. 100%. 100%. Matter mm-hmm. of fact, in New York, if you shoot a doe, you bring the doe to get it checked in, they will give you another tag of either sex tag. And wow. You could, you could do that twice. Like, that's how many deer are there. So, you have a problem with deer. And this is the same thing with Jersey. You know, you have this this issue. And you're effectively cutting off the main tool to managing this problem off at the knees right. by constantly whacking away at the ability to actually hunt. Right. You know, the, the, pro- you- the problem is, is in these suburban areas. You can't like, okay, oh yeah, I could still go to, you know, the national forest or go to a large track that's, you know, thousands of acres and go hunt, but that's not where the problem of the deer is. And that's not mm-hmm. going to fix the problem that you're having. Right. So. Yeah, because whitetails, they like that edge habitat. They, they're on the edge of uh, human yeah. occupation. You know, that's kind of where they, they congregate. So you, you, they're taking away that opportunity to, to manage those populations. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and now this is one of the things that I've been trying to get people to understand um, going back to that little conversation we have, like, why don't we have 35,000 signatures, 40,000 signatures mm. is, you know, the, you and me, we're out here in the West, you're in Montana, I'm here in Arizona. How does this affect us? Right. It, and people don't realize that you, if you lose, if you lose hunters because they can no longer hunt in their state, your voice gets smaller and smaller and smaller and eventually that's going to trickle back to you. Um, it's going to come in, in, in a way of, uh, legal precedence. It's going to come in the fact that there's less money being put in the pot. So we all contribute into the same pot. You can't think Mm -hmm. of it as you're not doing it as in a state level. I mean, you are at certain, you know, tag sales or whatever, but when it comes to, uh, you know, Pittman Robinson and stuff like that, that is a large pot that the whole country puts into and then it gets divvied up. Well, that pot keeps right. getting smaller. So people need to understand that we're, we're only, we only exist because of that pot. Because right. without us, us, there would not be a mechanism to run conservation. Mm-hmm. And it's what protects us on a great on a grander scale that's why we right. that's why we're constantly dealing with the uh you know death by a million cuts because they're chipping away yeah. at the edges all the time chipping away at the edges yeah. all the time because they can't do something like oh let's get rid of deer hunting you know because mm-hmm. but you start losing stuff like this and it just people just don't want to deal with it i can't even hunt on my own land why why you know that's where i got into bow hunting for i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna do this anymore so now that guy's not buying bows and he's not you know, so exactly. yeah. yeah, it's just, it's, it's a crazy thing. So and I just kind of want to just keep hitting that home for yeah. people to understand that. Um, right. Yeah. It's um, like you said, the death by a thousand cuts strategy, that's their, 
their most successful when I say they, I mean the animal, the organized animal rights activist mm-hmm. coalition. Uh, that's their most successful route um, as far as limiting opportunities. And the the more convoluted and um, hard to discern they can make these efforts, the better for them because th- they kind of tend to go under the radar. Oh yeah. Whenever they don't cause a huge uprising, yeah, like this thing. Well, this is challenges private property rights and limits people's abilities to hunt on their own land. So it it should cause a big uprising, but it it is pretty convoluted in the language of the bill. just like most of these attacks tend to be. Yes, for sure. Um, so I, I, I kind of left this one for last and we might actually touch on another one that you, you looked into a little bit, but the New York has the lead ban bill. I, mm-hmm. I want you to describe that and then I kind of want to kind of get a dive into because at first it's like, okay, I mean, so we got to shoot copper bullets or whatever the case might be, but it's it, mm-hmm. it's a little bit more uh, complex. So, Yeah. Yeah, so the lead bands get tricky because um, on first glance, you tend to think, well, it's probably a good thing to to limit lead on the landscape as much as possible through the the use of lead ammunition. Um, but it's it's kind of like anything else, in in my opinion. And there are all kinds of opinions on lead. So you know, people go in all kinds of different directions on this. But mm-hmm. it seems like it it's better um, kind of governed by this the wildlife agencies, the state wildlife agencies, and the scientists and biologists that work there. In my opinion, I think the lead bans should be if they're going to be put in place at all they should be put in place by those professionals um, but this is one that's kind of like um it would just be a legislative prohibition on um, almost all state-owned public land in new york i think um and yeah it would just outlaw all lead ammo use on um, state-owned land and all the land within the the water supply that feeds into the water supply of New York city. Right. Um, so yeah, very a large sweeping ban on lead. And you know, what that does is it, it tends to keep people away from hunting and fishing. It, it works against new hunter recruitment efforts. Um, obviously lead ammo is less expensive than some of the copper and other uh, alternatives, but, so it, it will it will weed out hunters, new hunters, and even existing hunters in New York. Yeah, and that goes back to what we were just talking about, the pot getting smaller. Right. The Pittman-Robertson dollars uh, will continue to dwindle in the face of something like this. Yeah. And I, um, for those of you who are interested in it or not, on my personal podcast on Days in the Wild, I, um, I did a... Uh, we t- talked specifically about lead and lead poisoning. I had a, a gentleman, Doctor Brosdale, on uh, to oh, talk nice. about that, and it's a it's it's pretty good. We're not going to get into that right now, but if you want to listen to that, there's there's a lot uh, there's a lot of research as to why and and you know what and whatnot. So just uh, yeah, take a look at that, and you'll kind of find out a little bit more about it. Um, 
but uh, yeah. So the lead ban, it's on 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 the grand scale of things, is not a good thing for us, I guess. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know. If it doesn't seem like that. Uh, at least not this particular attempt to regulate lead. Um, that's not to say that that lead should ammo shouldn't be uh, regulated in certain circumstances because there there's a lot of good science that that shows that you know raptors uh, such as condors and bald eagles that will ingest lead fragments from gut piles will ultimately die from that that toxicity. Um, but again, I think it goes back to we need to empower our state agencies to make these decisions and not use these uh, sweeping legislative efforts because they kind of get, they tend to get co-opted just like everything else in the legislature that has to do with hunting. Mm -hmm. Uh, The center for biological diversity or whatever it might be, will get behind an effort and then, and kind of use that to advance their goals of limiting hunting opportunity. Um, whereas if it's just done on a case by case basis by our wildlife agencies, I think that's a better outlook for this or uh, solution to this lead problem that we have. Right. Yeah. Like obviously if there is a, uh, an area that is, specifically uh i don't know california condor or whatever where mm-hmm. there that is an issue that is a problem that is a known problem that we're having with the lead and right yeah and then uh you mentioned the water supply you know we've already eliminated lead from waterfowl hunting mm-hmm. you know, federal, exactly that like those make sense to me, but you know, to go shoot a deer in the woods, right? That you're not going to have, you know, a condor in there, or it's not open country where you're even going to have vultures or raptors or whatever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like a prudent thing to do, you know. Yeah, but, and with the yeah. water sl- water supply uh, issue in particular, there in New York City, or New York state, the water that feeds to New York city. Um, I was reading something about, you know, they have so many of these shooting ranges on public land throughout that watershed uh, where, you know, they, they go back however many decades of people just constantly uh, range shooting lead ammo. Mm -hmm. um, And, and they, that hasn't contaminated the water supply. So why do we have reason to believe that, you know, further big game hunting in the Adirondacks where people are hunting white-tailed deer with, with lead ammo is going to be problematic. You know, if, if it's not, if it's not already proven from these shooting ranges that have existed for a long time. Right. Right. Well, cool. Um, I do want to close with this just to bring it up. Um, there's a bill in Washington Oh, not Bill, but it, there's a, a situation in Washington that I want to mm-hmm. touch on. I'm actually going to be doing a podcast with uh, Bart George, who is uh, the lion guy. We'll, we'll call him the lion guy in in, uh, in Washington. 
um, yeah. that we'll, we'll be specifically talking about this and have it really, um, you know, flesh it out. But let's, let's just give a quick overview. So there's a problem right now in Washington in the Blue, Blue Mountain elk herd, mm-hmm. um, which used to be the largest single herd, I think, in the country. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, I believe it was. And yeah. now is um, on the decline. Right. Drastically. Yep. And yeah, it seems that way. Um, they they have an un, a um, ungulate herd there that they've been studying. The department, Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife, has been studying pretty heavily over the last year, um, monitoring um, calf growth rate. I think so. They collared a whole bunch of calves and elk calves in that in that herd, and found that their predation rates are just kind of through the roof. Um, something crazy, like, I don't know, 80% or more of these calves had succumbed to some form of predation um, in, a, in a pretty huge number. Um, portion of that was attributed to mountain lion predation. Yeah, I got the exact numbers here. I think I just pulled it up. So, um there is hold on one second here. Um, oh, I thought I had it right in front of me. I'm sorry, guys. Um, trying to find out how many they collared. I think they collared 125 animals. Yep. Yep. And. Um, 92 of them or something like that was, I don't have the numbers exactly, but I have 90, I want to say 92 of them were, were killed by predation. Um, mm-hmm. Or I'm sorry, there was only nine alive or something like that. Yeah, I think that's what, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, nine yeah, yeah. of them survived. Nine of them survived. Okay. Went, and yeah. uh, 77 of those deaths were directly related to mountain lions. Okay. Yeah, I think what I have is 77 were as a result of some form of predation, but 55 uh, deaths were attributed directly to cougars. Okay, yep, you're right. That's exactly it. Sorry, guys, we're, we should have had our numbers. I wasn't prepared to talk about this one, but I know I wanted to touch on it real quick. Um, yeah. And the rest were black bears, uh, wolves, and even they yeah. determined that one or two of them were killed by bobcats too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. they got a big predator problem there. And yes. right now there's a proposition to uh add an additional lion tag. And mm-hmm. so you know, there's some there's some people out there that think, well, that's just not gonna do anything because we don't even meet the quota. But if you look at it from the standpoint that this is one of the things that we need to check uh, the box that we need to check. Um, uh, it's not going to hurt anything to put another, to be able to get another lion tag there. It's not going to hurt right. anyone. Heck, it might even help by putting some more money out there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Are we going to be taking more lions if people get more tags? I don't know. Probably not. 
there's a couple of people that said, you know, you might see five or six more lions taken out a year. year. Mm -hmm. Well, five or six more lions. If you do the math, you know, let's say six lions times 52, that's 312 animals, you know, undulates that you just saved. Um, that's not a small number, you know, but, right. um, but the whole thing is the whole premise behind it is you need to have more tags there. And let's say we put the more tags there and the, um, you know, in two years you really look at it and say, Hey, well, listen, we still haven't met this objective. Mm-hmm. Now let's go to the next step. Let's allow right. hound hunting again, or let's allow because you can't hound hunt there, right? Right. Yeah, it's been outlawed since the nineties, or I think. Yeah, you know they followed suit with California. So, mm-hmm. but it's like you can't you can't make changes, you know, or you can't hope that everything's going to change in one shot. But if you may, if you do this now, you have something to point to. You're like, look, we even increased the line tape. We're still not getting there. What what can we do? What tool can we use? We know this is effective. Let's do that, mm-hmm. you know? Right. So you have right. to have those those steps to, to point to. And I don't think people are understanding that. A lot of – so a lot of people with our up in arms about it saying, oh, this is just a, you know, like a shell game. It's just going to make people right. feel like we're doing something and we're not doing anything with it and, and yada, mm-hmm. yada, yada. So from my perspective um, and Hal's perspective, this is just – a necessary thing that we need to do to go to the next step. Right. So we're yeah, supporting it. It seems like they're in Washington. Um, people are going to have to play the long game because that commission um, has recent, some new appointees that, um, you know, some people don't think are really soundly rooted in the North American model of wildlife conservation. So yeah, yeah that's... people are going to have to be willing to, like you said, just, yeah, engage in this step this is one step in the process it's not it's not going to be a viable solution for the predator problem that they have there um but it's participation and it's an opportunity to um, engage and voice your opinion i guess if nothing else exactly well awesome man i want to thank you for coming on and going through these with us and uh we'll definitely uh we'll get you back on here and probably next month and we'll talk about a few more other ones awesome john well i've I've enjoyed it i appreciate you having me on i appreciate all the work uh, you guys are doing and the opportunity to help uh craft some of these these actions no no problem at all then thank you for your 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 help on them we need it (laughs) yeah absolutely i'm glad to help all right have a good one all right have a good one bye-bye